Welcome to an EG Property Podcast from MIPIM 2023. This session was hosted by Tim Burke, the Deputy Editor of EG, and was joined by guests Christina Gamboa, Chief Executive of the World Green Building Society, Joanne Ronnie, Chief Executive of the Manchester City Council, and Ricardo Valenti, City Councillor and Board Member of Porto Vivo, the Urban Regeneration Agency. Join us as we explore the latest trends and best practices for the real estate and sustainability market. A warm welcome to this next EG panel. I'm Tim Burke. I'm the deputy editor at EG. And uh, in this session, we're talking about development activity, but not just in the UK, uh, across other world cities as well. Um, we'll be asking over the next 45 minutes or so, what's, what are cities doing right when it comes to climate change and the role that the built environment can play in addressing it? How are they bolstering their economies through innovative new approaches to development? How are they reinventing themselves to attract the right talent, to create social value, and to build community engagement? And importantly, where can cities in the UK look to internationally for inspiration and best practice? We have three fantastic speakers, and uh, as I say, about 45 minutes, so we'll have plenty of opportunity for any questions from the floor, so please do throw your opinions and queries into the mix as well. Um, I am joined by uh, Christina Gamboa, Chief Executive at the World Green Building Council, Joanne Roney, Chief Executive at Manchester City Council, and Ricardo Valenti, City Councillor and a board member of Porto Vivo, which is the city's urban regeneration agency. Um, I will ask each of our panelists just to uh, give a short introduction to themselves and their work and the perspective that they're bringing uh, to this discussion this afternoon. Ricardo, I'm going to start at your end and work back if that's okay. Okay, so, so good afternoon to you all. I'm Ricardo Valente. I'm city councillor uh, since 2013 in the city of Porto. So we are running the city as an independent movement. So I think that really we are the only European city uh, as the size of Porto that is run by a, a political, let's say, uh, that are not politicians. So basically we are a, a city movement that has been elected since 2013. We are in our last mandate in the city. Thank you. Joanne. Uh, hello, good afternoon. I'm Joanne Rooney. I'm the Chief Executive of Manchester City Council. Um, you may have heard of Manchester. You may have heard of Manchester. It's a global brand. You might know it as City or United. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's actually um, a fantastic city, fantastic growing city. And uh, I'm sure we've got plenty to talk about in terms of what Manchester's achieved, but also what we've got coming in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Cristina Gamboa. I'm the CEO of the World Green Building Council. It's the first time we've been in MIPIM. We've partnered up to uh, facilitate the Road to Zero exhibition and we've curated some events. Very excited here to bring the power of collaboration and leadership around the world in challenging industry and cities to travel the good path of creating more resilient and prosperous futures. I lead a global <coughs> network. I'm from Colombia, I'm from Bogota. I'm living in London uh, and I, I think what I would like to hear today and listen and learn is the diversity of solutions to continue to be inspired and hopefully will inspire you also in whatever you're doing to continue to do your contribution for the greater good. 
I think that sounds like a pretty good aspiration for, uh, for the day. Perfect. Um, Christina, if I could turn back to you yeah. then uh, to start. I, I guess so much of what um, we at EG have been talking about in this pavilion so far today and then across this week is about bringing private and public sectors together. And you've, you've made the point when we've spoken before today's panel that in, in greening our buildings, it's not enough just for the private sector alone to, um, to innovate. When, when you look at cities around the world, given that your, your remit is so wide in terms of geography, and the ways in which they're making strides or, or, or not making strides in terms of the built environment addressing climate change. Are you, are you optimistic about how you see public and private sector coming together, or is the room, is the room to push more? I think there has been improvements in collaboration in the dialogue around what, what, what good looks like, but there's still, let's say, uh, a road to travel. I would say we're still not planning for the future. We're sometimes, on average, doing the same things we've done in the last 50 years. But the resiliency conversation around climate impact happening now has enabled also more awareness on mitigation, too, and it's becoming now more prevalent in the agenda. So I am an optimist at heart. So I'm going to tell you the good story. And the good story is around those partnerships enabling policies. First, the private sector needs to lead. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. <laughs> the private sector has to lead in terms of uh, embracing an agenda of green growth, of creating quality jobs, of creating opportunity for innovation and delivering higher quality assets, all sorts of infrastructure under a systemic approach. It's not only buildings, it's about integration to transport infrastructure, all goes into same same line of thinking. But with that, the public sector does have to give a vision of what they want, where they're going to, so they can inspire confidence in the private sector to invest in that direction, and of course, do the good ambition loops uh, that feed back into each other. So we have then, if the city has a vision of embracing uh, a sustainability, a whole carbon, a, a whole life cycle understanding of carbon, then that in, they are enacting, for example, innovation and regulation in procurement codes in different things that the city has influenced. They're greening their own assets. They're creating opportunity. And so then that, again, creates a, another, let's say, wave of understanding that the question that we should be asking ourselves is why aren't we not doing it instead of we should be doing it? So that, if we take that idea of collaboration and the public sector setting a vision and the private sector stepping in with the drive to push it forward, I wonder if we can explore how in Manchester and in Porto you bring that to fruition. In Porto, how do you bring that vision from your teams out into the private sector and get them to help you carry it forward? That's, that's a, a really good, good question. Let's say we are, let's say we are basically businessmen that are running the city so we i think that we we really understand what really the power of of bringing a vision a strategy to to governance in terms of the city so we have basically put sustainability as the main goal of the city since 2014 um, we and we are running the city as an example in terms of let's say all of this climate change thing and environmental things so basically what we have done so nowadays, for you to have an idea, we, we have 100% of all of the electricity energy in the city hall is basically 100% from renewable energy. So it's, it's 
uh, an obligation uh, from our providers. So all of the, 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 the bus system around the city is electrical, so basically we have zero diesel and gasoline buses running the city. We don't allow private bus to enter the city if they are running on diesel or gasoline inside the city. Uh, we will launch the first fleet of hydrogen uh, in the city in the end of this year. So we'll, we'll, we'll set up the, the metro bus, the BT airline uh, through hydrogen. So, so basically we are uh, very keen in, in saying that if you are leading the agenda, you should make it happen. Yeah. So, uh, so this is the first message. The second message is that we have put in place what we call the Porto Climate Pact. So basically, it's putting all of the stakeholders inside the city and outside the city in, in, in terms of running from the same objective. It's just like that we want to be carbon-free in 2030. Uh, this is the, the main goal of the city. And the third angle is that we want to be completely independent in terms of energy. So we want to produce our own energy. Um, so basically what we are making, we are building what we call community energies in the city. So we are putting solar panels in all of the public buildings and we are selling that, that energy to the nearby uh, houses. And we are again uh, uh, giving the example to all of the, all of the communities. So, so basically I think that the public agent should be the leader. And, 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 and trying to give the example. Uh, I think that the public agent has a, a huge advantage, so basically we are here for the long term. Mm. So, so we exist for 2,000 years as a city, and we will still exist. And, and so we don't have that kind of short-term sight in terms of objectives. I think that that's the really the power of the public agent, is that you have this long-term view, and you should give the example, and that's what we are trying to, to make in the city of Porto. And you touched there on that goal of being energy independent. The deadline for that, am I right that it, you've set yourself a goal of 2035 to yeah. achieve that by? Yes. That's, a pretty, that's an ambitious target. Oh, yes, yes. W but what, are the, what are the main steps that are going to take you there? Let's say it's, it's a huge objective, but you know that human, human beings, if, if you put, uh, uh, um, let's say, uh, I, we really believe that, that we are really good at making things happen as human beings. And, and, and so if, if you put it a very strong objective is, is the thing to engage people. So if, if it's easy to achieve, people will be lazy. And, and, and basically the message is that we want to be the first city and we are really competitors in the city of Porto. We want to be the number one. We want to say to everyone that we want to be the number one in the country. Uh, and, and, and that's the way we put people together. It's a, the common objective, we will be the number one. Uh, we, we have the same, f the, the same idea as Manchester. We are not the number one city, but we are the number one in terms of the soccer team of the country, so yep. uh, we are very competitive <laughs> in, 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 in that field and, and I think that's, that's the message that you should bring to the community is, is that we will be winners of, the, of this race and, and at the end of the day, uh, if you want to, to, to have the city for the next 2,000 years, you need to make it now. Joanne, tell us, um, tell us about the global ambition that, 
that Manchester has, and again, the ways that the, the, the ways that it will rely on you putting forward um, a vision for the city and the private sector, saying yes, we buy into this and we're going to help you push it forward. So I think uh, one of the strengths about Manchester, and particularly one of the reasons Manchester has been so successful in recent years and continues to be uh, incredibly successful post-pandemic, is that long-term partnership that we have, um, not just in the city with our businesses, but in our region through uh, the combined authority. So um, Manchester has had an internationalisation strategy uh, produced with business, which is really clear about what is our focus on internationalisation and uh, to work with purpose with different countries for different reasons, uh, unashamedly stealing really good ideas globally. Um, so, so number one is that vision and ambition to be world-class top-flight city. We already are, but we have more to do. And then if you translate that down to sustainability, so we, uh, we clearly do measure ourselves and benchmark on sustainability indices with all places uh, globally. But I think um, one of the key things I'd pick out that we did was as a city... We created the Manchester Climate Change Agency, which is a science-led independent agency that sets the measures for the city. So we set an ambition to be net zero by 2030 in advance of UK government. That's then been expanded to the city region, having a, a, a net zero ambition, because we realised that, of course, there are things that we can do locally, and I completely agree with you about the public sector being a first mover, particularly around our own assets. But actually, we needed that partnership with business and a partnership with government nationally to make some of those big differences. So if we look at um, the placemaking agenda that we have in the UK um, and the levelling up ambitions that the UK has, clearly, we need to be able to operate at scale to make big difference, housing design, retrofit, transport infrastructure so our partnership to deliver on those strategies and ambitions have to work locally regionally nationally and globally i am um, i like that i referred to looking to other cities around the world for inspiration and best practice and you referred to unashamedly stealing ideas i think we're both talking about exactly the same yeah. thing but you just don't trade in journalistic cliches like uh, like I do but where uh, when you when you look at uh, benchmarking where where inspires you internationally where might you um, steal those ideas from so, so so we don't just say we want to be that because the strength of Manchester is it's Manchester mm. and it needs to have its and it needs to have its own identity and it's built on its own strengths for the people who live there. So um, we actually pick bits of good stuff from everywhere. So um, in, in our proposals around integrated transport systems, we would look to Amsterdam. We, we, we think Amsterdam have got some great stuff. For our global significance of culture, we've been working with Barcelona on culture. Uh, if I look to... Uh, future energy sources, um, we, we look anywhere for that. Uh, but interestingly, Liverpool, our neighbours, are moving at pace, uh, and others are working on hydrogen. So um, the, the bit we haven't mentioned, I should say, is the role of our universities, particularly in R&D. So um, I can't say uh, that's the place we go to, 
Um, we look at who's doing well, who's at the top of the game on anything, and then we'll go and have a conversation with them. And if there's something that's applicable to us, fantastic. And equally, if there's something Manchester has got that other places want to tap into, we're happy to share. And that's yeah. why we're here at Mippin, isn't it? That's why we're on international stages here throughout Mippin. Uh, Net Zero is a global challenge. Nobody's got the single answer to it. We have to work collaboratively and we have to learn together and we have to move at pace. Christina, any, any thoughts on what you've heard that Manchester and Porto are, are, are doing there that might, that might be best practice in your opinion or, or any, other, any other great examples of cities that we should be talking about and looking to um, who are tackling you know, what are some really tough challenges with, the, with an innovative approach? Yes, thank you. You've, you have here top-notch leaders, so uh, topping up their leadership is quite tough. But I would pick up on a few things that I heard that I think are key takeaways. You heard that Ricardo City, Porto going for, he said, energy, energy independence. That is the way forward, but in a way that actually is just common business. The big problem with energy in cities, one of it, because there are several systems, but one of it is that we are just wasting energy. We are being wasteful. The agenda that we're having here in Europe right now is around, for example, buildings that are not fit for purpose and they're wasting energy. The pace of growth, we will need more energy. And what he's also saying is, yes, but that doesn't mean that energy efficiency doesn't go first. And then we can innovate through district solutions that address energy poverty of communities. If we make communities more independent, then we're actually also revolutionizing utilities and asking them to provide energy services, not only sell and sell and sell more and more and more energy. The world will not get to net zero just on more renewable energy. So that was a big takeaway for me, and that, that is a level of thinking that will get cities prepared to the resilience shift that needs to happen as climate impacts are being felt now. The second is the innovation around linking universities, green skills, opportunities for innovation around. That's, that's quite critical because the world is created by the people that are actually going into the marketplace too, and then if we are addressing the skills gap of that green transition, there will be no trade-off. Those people studying in those universities will enable the transition that we need. So those, those were things that I sparked in, to mind. And the other thing critical from Joanne is the locally appropriated. Yes? We, we have been for a long time thinking there's not one solution fits all, but the Net Zero Quest 90% of the world economy has a net zero goal. Net zero is here to stay. That is the national vision. For that national vision, cities can move further faster, using the language of my C40 colleagues. These two cities are moving further faster than sometimes national governments that go at another pace. And cities represent 75% of global greenhouse gas emissions because of the energy use, the transport systems, the inefficiency, the inefficiency of buildings, the inefficiency of the use of resources. So that shift in sustainability is just common sense. The world is gonna have more population, more people after the same resources, 
that's not going to get us anywhere with all the crisis we're facing at the same time. So that future-proofing of cities, maybe I'm speaking too long? Not at all. Okay, <laughs> that future-proofing of cities is actually good business for city councils, but also it's providing good quality of life for citizens as they are part of the visioning exercise. That's what I heard from them, and that's I, I, I think it's amazing. Love it. Um, any questions from the floor at this point? I think we're probably sort of a little over halfway through. Anyone like to put anything to our panelists? Yeah. Hello. Okay. That was a good mic tap. I like that. <laughs> Professional. That was good. Okay. So um, it, it is fairly common that both the public and the private sector share in their vision uh, when it comes to. Um, these future results. Um, in the public sector, the main motivator is public services, public benefits. In the private sector, you usually see um, profitability, profit, financial performance, etc., as the main motivators. Um, are there any specific measures that you have seen that can bring these two together to kind of um, keep pushing forward towards that uh, general vision, even though the two may speak different languages? Yeah, I, I can I can start. I think that's a really really a good a good question. Um, I'm very positive. Uh, <laughs> uh, why? Because let's say Porto. We, in, in the same time that we have put sustainability as the as the first objective of the city, the first goal of the city, uh, we are we are one of the 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 stars in Europe in terms of attracting FTI investment uh, throughout Europe. And we are basically right now one of the the biggest tech hubs in Europe uh, since 2013, and that's connected to what talent, and 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 companies in reality nowadays they should give a purpose to talent. So talent choose companies, and it's not no more companies that choose talent, and and if 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 talent wants the right purpose, and it if if the talent has the same vision that we have in the city, we are the perfect, we have, let's say, the perfect combination between the economic transformation, development of the city, and the goals of environmental. I, I think that's the right message. The right message is that if people really have that objective, they will fight for that. And they will fight for that, how? Choosing the companies that help us achieve that kind of goals. And the companies will go to the places that are the places that will help them achieve that kind of goal. So basically, it's a cooperation system that, that I really believe on that. I think that we are on the best moment on our life. I, I really believe on that. I, I think that we are running now uh, a moment where the human capital is really the base of economic development. So human beings are at the center of the change in the world. And so I think that we as cities, that we are very close to people, we will be the ones that will make it happen. Please. Uh, shall I just say um, a, a few points from my perspective on this? Um, I think firstly, Manchester is known for innovation as much as it's football. So, <laughs> um, so and we we import it, but it, you know, Manchester is a place that likes to innovate. We have a strap line of. Manchester, we do things differently here. 
which is uh, kind of this is the place that as businesses you can come to and you can do things differently and we are here to support you finding solutions so uh, we're just opening our first um, most sustainable building in first street um, it's we have a scheme called neighbor six so it's, it's the highest standard you can get it's the first building and what's really interesting about that is other developers were saying well that's a bit ambitious neighbors four neighbors five but six and 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 the, their anxiety came from whether the end users of the building would be able to accommodate what was being asked so i think through design we have started to change the pattern of work the change of work building on uh, pandemic outcomes um but so, so number one a place to come and do things differently and experiment number two support innovation and that by supporting innovation that means we try things and some of it may not work we're okay we are okay with a little bit of failure every now and again not catastrophic just a little bit but we're okay to come and innovate and it may not always work third thing um, I would say is that our approach to turn our strategy of net zero into deliverables comes from uh, the strategic regeneration frameworks that we put out for every place that we want to see developed and we write very clearly what we expect to be delivered in those frameworks so if you're in the private sector and you want to come and work in Manchester we are clear up front what we're looking for and how we'll support you and what we expect and my view about um, working with the private sector is uh, the private sector wants certainty they want confidence and they want certainty and if you can give them that that's when you can create the conditions to try something different, be alongside you, stick for the long term, look at longer term investment and returns. So I think it is about the attitude and the application of that civic leadership and that partnership working. And the final thing I'd say about why Manchester is the place it is and why Manchester's um, recovery from the pandemic has been the best of anywhere in the UK and why Manchester's ambitions for the future are so certain and our pipeline is so strong is because our communities set the strategies. I don't write them. We consult extensively on any strategy that's produced in the city with our residents and young people are absolutely clear what, they, what, what will attract them to cities, so attracting that talent, what will keep them in cities is the type of places that we're creating and net zero is their consistent ask and demand of us in the city of quite right too. And I would like to add around, you started with profit, your, your question, profit, right? Ricardo talked to us about bringing it back to purpose. There's, there's, and then here we have the power also of engagement of people into that conversation, the purpose. And it's interesting that that it's 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 all we are we need to make a living we all do but we are now seeing the most successful companies are the ones that work their strategies through a purpose the most successful cities are the ones that have a vision and a purpose but it's not it's it's there's no trade off absolutely actually moving towards doing more with less which is the agenda of sustainability doing more through communities through regeneration of huge patches of, city, of the city that have a huge carbon debt yet to pay and build less the sufficiency conversation but with one seeing what do people want where do they own the place those urban regeneration projects that are actually also good for nature nature needs a hand to bounce back 
no? because they're also thinking how to green the city. Those, those projects are proving today to be more profitable than lineal thinking and doing the same thing just for an outcome. There's many affordable projects around the world, and I'm thinking also in, in regions where builders, for example, just did affordable homes in Mexico, in Colombia, thinking, oh, we'll, we'll, we got a land, this is, this, is, this is cheap, we do the business model, we set the houses here. There was no thinking of people, they had to commute for an hour, or they put solar panels, people didn't know how to use them, so they took them and left the affordable homes. That's not business, that's not successful. You made a profit, but at the end that didn't work for the community. So there's something there that w the, whole, the whole life cycle of an asset and its attributes in a city, which is gonna be 2,000 years with us, hopefully the, what we're building now is, has more longevity than how we've been thinking in the last 50 years, which has not getting us to a good spot. We've, we've seen some pretty bad developments and what we're doing is actually saying, hold, what we thought was good habitats, remember the habitat word we use a lot? No, 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 now it's the sustainability that it's gluing it. And that's, that's more powerful as a purpose to mobilize and to, to think, no, what's, what's not it? I'm, I'm, I'm doing my business, but I'm also making sure that in the life cycle it provides a quality of living. Christina, Joanne mentioned that office scheme in, in Manchester that's, that's aiming for a particularly um, ambitious neighbours rating. <coughs> Excuse me. What are, the, what are the biggest challenges that cities are going to face in greening their office stock, both across new developments that are coming out of the ground, but also bringing where they can older buildings um, up to the necessary standard? The office conversation is very interesting because actually the trends beyond people asking for purposes. Some people are saying, well, possibly I don't want to go that much to a work environment that makes me go into an office. So I'm hearing people thinking, how do I repurpose that for affordable housing? There's, I don't have the stat right now with me, here with me, but in Europe there's a stat. There's like a ridiculous amount of space that is not used or even double, uh, double homes. So there's, cities will have to find a way to tax non-efficient non use of space and repurpose it. I think that's one thing they have to grapple because the solution is not doing more and more uh, spaces. And the retrofits goes into a, the embodied carbon. Whole life carbon thinking has two parts. The operational carbon in the life cycle, but also there's upfront emissions that have happened when we build something. There's already an embedded carbon there. When you retrofit, you will be putting more carbon into that space unless you think of low carbon solutions. So cities will have to make better public tenders understanding life cycle analysis of materials. In the road to zero space, you can see some ideas on how to go about that. But then again, innovate with, with, the, with the metrics, the disclosure, the transparency, and the cities can put benchmarks for those renovations to be high quality, but disclosing their impact and making sure that they are actually gonna be delivering for what you need from the urban regeneration uh, aspect and not create, again, silos of development but good, good communities. Ricardo, how is, um, how is Porto tackling this challenge? Let's say Porto, Porto is, is a city where 75% of the construction is rehabilitation, so we, uh, we, we, we basically we don't demolish nothing. So, so basically, we are 
we are world heritage the 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 city center uh, and uh, we are very keen in protecting that um, so the way we have developed the urban develop the the urban master plan for instance what what we have made it basically uh, two things we have allow a, a high level of densification on 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 places where you have public transportation so basically metro and 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 that's relevant because basically it makes the the house more affordable because you are basically eager to 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 develop high levels of 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 construction the first measure the second measure is that we we are the first city in portugal to have an environmental index on the the master plan so so basically we give a positive incentive if you bring energy efficiency if you bring uh, carbon neutral materials in terms of construction so we give the profit so the 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 problem throughout life is not a profit. We all want to make a profit. That's not the problem. The problem is how you make it. That's really the problem. And, and so at the end of the day, what you should give is the proper incentives so that the profit is more than just the, the profit on the, the profit and loss account is the profit for us as a community. And, and so at, at the end of the day is, is a question of management. And we truly believe on that, that if we give the right incentives, the private sector will understand that and the smart guys in the private sector will take the advantage of that. So they will be the, f the first ones. And if you, if you see on the city of Porto, for instance, the, the, the offices that, that have the high levels of rent are the better ones in terms of energy efficiency, environmental things. Why? Because companies that are paying for that kind of offices, they want to be there. They want to be the first ones to be on that kind of offices. And that's the way I think that we should really make this kind of combination. Joanne made, um, made an interesting point about that, the consultation process that you go through when you're putting new, new policies in place, and specifically the messages that you get from younger people in the city which made me wonder, how, how different do you think Manchester will, will look and feel in, and I don't, I don't really know what kind of timescale to give, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever you want to tackle, um, based on you listening to a new generation and, and what, they want for from, what, what they want from a city? Yeah, this is a, this is a really live question, isn't it, um, about uh, thinking forwards in our places. If I, if I just said that 20 years ago in Manchester city centre... 3,000 people lived in the centre of Manchester. Uh, now we're at 100,000 and it's growing. And uh, so there is already a very active dialogue around the future of the city centre. And I live in Manchester city centre. I'm not telling you where, but I do live <laughs> in the centre of Manchester. So I see young people who have moved in to the city of Manchester and we had high density, was, was a strategy, build high, you know, populate the city, keep the city vibrant, uh, you know, supporting all of that great vibe of Manchester needed people to populate it. But of course, these, those people who moved in over the last 20 years have got married, had children, and now are saying, well, actually, we like some houses, not flats. We want houses, and we want green space, and we want, um, and we want dogs. And you know, so, so cities 
that grow change. And what we have to work out is wh what is the blend of those voices? Yeah. What, how do you um, how do you get uh, density in the city centre because of the values? So it has to be density. Uh, not three-bedroom detached houses in the centre of Manchester. It has to be density. What does that mean? Well, it means uh, those areas just outside the city centre need to be walkable areas that have density of housing in it. So you have to do that long-term planning um, uh, and real long-term vision, but constantly refresh it as new, as new products come to market, as new design comes in. We're able to innovate as well as implement those competing plans. Um, so... You know, I'm, I'm really pleased that in Manchester we've opened the first park in the city centre in a hundred years. A brand new park at Mayfield. Um, we're really pleased that we've got uh, 15,000 homes being built on North Manchester. But those homes are being built by opening up the river and the, the, greening, the green lung. It's called the green lung and the blue lung. So we start to put active travel walkways in. So... The answer to the question is, yes, young people want a vibrant city centre, they want to walk, they don't want cars, they don't want cars, but if they want cars, they want EV charging points in every home. Um, that's a big challenge for us. Um, uh, but actually, they'll accept, you know, build me nice commuter suburbs, but the commute will be a different commute to the commute yeah. I had in my life. So we hear those voices. We continually refresh it. We're honest and open about the competing pressures. Uh, and we put forward those plans to try and balance those different needs. And that's how you keep a vibrant city that changes and grows and responds. A similar story in Porto? I'd say we have a different problem. We have, we have losing population. So, uh, so Portugal is one of the elderly countries in the world. So, um, so we'll lose 25% uh, of our population until 2050, if nothing is made. Uh, so Porto is one of the oldest cities in the country. Uh, we are the city with the highest amount of monoparental families. Uh, so 33% of the families are monoparental in the, in the city. Um, so we, we have a, a lot of demographic challenges. I think that the problem that, that we have nowadays in the country uh, is the youth is basically the minority. Mm. So, and that's a problem. Because basically, when you are talking about the future, <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so in, and if you are a politician, uh, so it's, it's a, huge, a huge challenge because you are, you are talking about future to whom? And and really, that's 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 a problem. Uh, uh, I think that that throughout Europe we will have. I think that that's the elephant in the room. Uh, really, uh, uh, it it's the way that we can bring uh, young people to engage in the in the political agenda, um, to to look at at the community as a community because that's really a problem. Because if, if, if the youth is not able to think about community and if it is close in, in itself, so basically it will lose the, yeah. the, the political battle and, and that's the, the relevant thing. The relevant thing is to put young people uh, on the political agenda, bringing them the sense of community so that we are here together, we will change together. 
and and, and so in in Porto really um, the I think that the biggest challenge uh, of the city is how you are able to change a city that is 2,000 year city so we are older than the country our streets are the same way as they were 2,000 years ago mm. Uh, so when you talk about electrical vehicles, uh, all of the time we say how we will be able to put it inside the city. So it's close to impossible uh, uh, because of the infrastructure of the city. So, uh, so we have a lot of challenges. Um, uh, how, how we are trying to tackle it with, with a lot of investment. So, so for you to have an idea, we, we in the city of Porto, we have 13% of housing that's a huge FEMI in Europe, it's social housing. So we have the same amount as, as, as Finland has. So we are a Nordic country city. Uh, so the average in the country is 2% uh, and we have 13%. So, so basically we are very keen in making different kinds of things inside the city. Uh, but the biggest challenge for us is how we will be competitive in 2035, 2050. And 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 what we are trying to 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 make is to bring people to the city. So it's it's a very different challenge. Yeah. We are losing population, so we are trying to 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 make people come back to the to the city nowadays. That makes perfect sense. Um, I think we are I think we are just about out of time here. So I'm I'm going to wrap this up. But a big thank you to all three of our panelists for joining us here today. Really appreciated you sharing your views. A quick plug for uh, what is coming up uh, later on this afternoon. So we'll have a break now. And then at 4.15, we have EG's news editor, Pui Guan Man, um, holding the first of our EG interviews live, where she'll be talking with PFP Capital Chief Executive Catherine Webster. And then, this is the really good bit, 5.15, opening drinks reception. That's what you're all here for. So. Um, Look, hope to see you there then. Uh, in the meantime, if you could put your hands together for our guests. Thank you. Thank you.